You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Hey, Creek family. Heather and I are finishing up our intentional rest at that time where we're just pressing into the heart of God. And thank you for praying for us and keep praying for us. And uh, we're looking forward to being back with you. Matter of fact, we're going to be back with you next weekend. So I'm excited to see all of you and, and uh, share with you everything that God's been doing in our life. And this weekend, though, Judd is going to be finishing the book of Philippians. I hope this has been a, a great series for you. I hope you've enjoyed the study through the book of Philippians. I've, I'm kind of bummed I didn't get to preach all of it because I just love this book. And this series has meant a lot to many of you, and I've, I know it's meant a lot to me. And so I'm excited for that. I can't be, wait to be with you all next week. So right now, I just would like to have Judd come up and just lock in with him, listen to everything he's got to say. I love you guys. God bless you. Hey, guys. How's everybody doing? I got a wave in the back. Awesome. Hey, uh, first of all, I want to just do a shout out to everybody who served this weekend for the mobile food pantry. That is such a huge blessing to our community. And I just want to say thank you for doing that, being the hands and feet of Christ. You know, we're going to continue in this study, as you heard from Pastor Matt in Philippians. Now, we've been in this study a long time. It's called Finding Joy in Everything. And what I do not understand is it's only four chapters in this book, and we're going to cover all of four today. All right? So I'm asking for some grace up front. We're going we're gonna to go through all of it, but uh, we're not going to reference all of it. But uh, just tune in, hang with me, and we will uh, get through it today. I wish we could go on for a few more weeks. This has been a great study. You know, I want to do a reminder. Paul wrote the book of Philippians to the church in Philippi. And this was one of the first, this was the first church that was planted in the continent of Europe. And it was on his second missionary journey that he planted this church. And he's writing this letter to them to encourage them. And you can just imagine how important it is for this church to succeed on on another continent. Can you just imagine that? It's the beginning of the Christian church movement, and Paul is writing to them to encourage them, and we get a glean from it and actually find encouragement for the church of today. So before we get started, would you pray with me? Lord, I just pray that as as we just ponder this book in Philippians, that you would just speak to us by your Holy Spirit. God, that we would each and every one of us open our hearts to just receive from you what you have for every one of us. Lord, I believe that there are promises in your scripture that you have for your beginning church and you have for your church today. And God, I just pray that this message would be an encouragement to everybody who hears it, that God, you are still at work, that you do have promises, and you are still advancing your kingdom. And it is in this, in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are going to pick up in chapter 4 today, and Paul starts off the first few verses, and really what he's doing is some housekeeping items. We're not going to read it, but what he's doing here is there's a couple of ladies that are not getting along. They are believers. They've done kingdom work, but they're quarreling, and basically he's saying, stop it. He's saying, just quit it. And there's a reason why he's saying do that is because it influences the outsiders that if there's quarreling in the church, then who wants to be a part of that and who wants to listen? 
Now, I don't know about you because I'm not reading that part, but if my name was written in Scripture as one of those people who quarreled, man, that would be some bad news, right? So all I'm saying is these two ladies are encouraged to, to basically reconcile. Now, of course, we have no quarreling in the church today, right? I mean, everybody gets along and everybody just has no issues with one another, and, and that's, that's a bunch of bull, right? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. God's family is just like our families. It's made up of people, and people are messy, but you still have a family. And so he's saying, hey, you got to reconcile and get through it and move on for the gospel's sake and so that you can grow and mature. So that's what he kicks off uh, saying. And then uh, Paul kind of transitions in to moving into encouraging the church in Philippi. Now, could you use a little bit of encouragement today? Okay, five of you could. Can the rest of you use some encouragement today? All right. So I believe that God, through his word, wants to encourage his church today. I don't think that he's done encouraging. I think that he wants to speak to us today, just like he did to the church in Philippi. And he's saying, hey, I've got something for you, for, so listen up. And that's what we're going to look at. And I believe that God has promises for us right here on earth. And we don't have to wait for heaven. He's saying, I have something for you now so listen up to this and receive my promises. And so we're going to look at that today. Now, you realize, man, when we think about guarantees here on earth, sometimes we think, man, there's no guarantees other than death and taxes. Anybody ever heard that? You ever wonder where it comes from? Okay, I'm the only one. So I Googled it, right? So I looked up and I'm like, man, did you realize Benjamin Franklin said something about this in 1789? Here's what he said. Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Now, he's talking about our constitution. He goes, man, it's promising to be permanent. And here we are today, right? Fighting for that constitution because nothing's permanent except God's promises. That's what we can count on, and so that's what we're going to look at today. And if you would like to, we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 4. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I believe that verses 4 and 5 in this passage really have two purposes, dual purposes. One, they are for the church to be encouraged and for us to all get along, right? He's speaking to us, and he's saying, hey, be encouraged, be encouraged and rejoice. But I think the other, part, the other part of this is they also, for those outside of the faith, so that they will be drawn to God. You realize if, if the body of Christ is rejoicing, and we are focusing on him, and we are praising, and we're getting along, is that not going to be attractive to the outside world? Absolutely. But if we're not getting along and we're mumbling and grumbling, 
man, they're not going to want anything to do with it. So it has dual purposes why he's saying this in this passage. So let, let's kind of unpack this a little bit. In verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. So how often are we to rejoice? What does it say? Always. I mean, always is always. And I'm thinking about this. Does he really mean always? Like even when it's really bad? And he's saying always. When things are good, yes, rejoice. When things are bad, yes, rejoice. Rejoice always. Your circumstances don't have anything to do with it. He says, rejoice in who? In the Lord. So what does it mean to rejoice? What does this word mean? Rejoice means this, to feel or show great joy or delight. Now, I don't know about you, I would love if I had the ability to walk around and show great joy and delight all the time. And then not only that, feel it, but tell my face that so that I walk around and have a good expression on it, right? So others can know that I have joy. But man, it's so hard when we start focusing on the circumstances around, around us. So let, let me ask you this. What comes more natural? Does getting discouraged about unpleasant circumstances or rejoicing through them? Which one comes more natural? Getting discouraged, unless you're just super Christian, right? And I haven't met one yet, but I heard they're out there. But it's so much easier just to get discouraged. And, and the reason is, is that for us to be encouraged, we really, we need to say our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. Let me say that again. Our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. We can have a great attitude when our circumstances are just going awry. And the way we do that is that we have to grow up and be mature. Because if we keep just focusing on our circumstances and not on the one who is in charge of everything, the Lord, then we stay infant and we never do grow up and find that inner peace. The verse about always rejoicing sums up the whole letter of the book of, Philippi, of Philippians. He's saying rejoice. And this is a man writing from really bad circumstances. And he believes it because he's found contentment. And so he's telling us to do the same thing. Because if one is rejoicing, it is impossible to be despairing. Have you ever tried like seriously praising him and singing and at the same time be mumbling and grumbling. Like you can't do those two things at one time. When you are truly worshiping and praising him and rejoicing, it's hard to be negative. And yet, here's the reason that we, we want to be uh, rejoicing. It's because each and every one of us, we're the, we're the body of Christ if you are a believer in Christ and a Christ follower, you're part of the church. And guess what? The, the world is looking at us and seeing how we're going to respond during difficult times. And the reason is, is because we often are talking about hope and love and joy and peace and patience and all these things that come from the Lord. And so when, it gets, when it, you get squeezed, you ever heard what comes out? They're wanting to see what comes out. 
They're wanting to see, is it going to be what you preach? And so really, I want to say this. The sum of all of us, each and every one of us, make the whole of how the world looks at the church. You represent God when you're out there if you're claiming to be a Christian. And so it's not, well, man, those people over there, they're better than me. So that's who everybody's watching. The world is watching us, everybody in this room, and they're wanting to see how we respond in difficult circumstances because anybody can rejoice when things are good. People know that we're Christ followers. They want to know how we're going to act when we lose a family member, when we lose a job, when, if we become ill or one of our relatives becomes ill, if one of our children fall prey to addiction, how do we respond? And the list goes on and on. In just a moment, Paul will show us how to rejoice even in these really, really difficult circumstances. And if anybody can tell us it's Paul, because Paul's in one. And he's found it. And so he's telling this church in Philippi how to find it. In verse 5, it says, Let your reasonableness or your gentleness, is what he's saying, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. How many of you know, have known somebody who professes to be a Christian, but on Facebook and Instagram, man, they share their opinions about everything and they don't care who it offends, okay? Anybody? Okay, we all know that, right? And how many of you have professing Christians to seem to walk around and wound people in their paths by saying things that are negative or hurtful, and then they justify it by saying, well, that's just the way I am, or I call it like I see it, or the truth hurts, right? That's not gentleness, and that's definitely not reasonableness. And this, too, is why, you know, Paul is saying, hey, church, the, your actions affect the world, so please be reasonable, please be gentle, so that others through you, can come to Christ. So he's kind of setting this up and saying, hey, your attitude matters. Now, I said before, we're the sum of the whole. And so every day, our attitude determines others' view of Christ. Now, often we don't want that responsibility, right? We just want to go on to work and do our thing. Nobody wants to have that heaviness. But let me just say, Jesus says his yoke's light. It's not heavy when you're worshiping him and you're focused on him. You just go through it and it happens because his spirit's flowing through you. So why is this important? Because the Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord is near. I, I kind of put this in perspective this way. So the book of Philippians was written around 61 AD. Okay, this is when Paul wrote this book. That's roughly 1,960 years ago. It's been a long time, right? Now, when he wrote this, the believers that were there at that time who had seen Christ, they really thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Do you know that? Like they thought it was going to be in their lifetime 1,900 years ago. Now, that can be either good or bad for us. And it's, it's two sides of the same coin. Let me tell you what I mean. 
We can either feel like it's been so long now, surely it won't happen in my lifetime either. It didn't happen then and they were just going through it. Or we can say, man, it's been so long that surely it is going to happen in my lifetime and we better get ready. Those are two different approaches, but I'm just telling you that we're closer now than we've ever been, right? And so it matters. If Paul's saying it matters to them 1,960 years ago, it matters how we live today because the Lord is at hand. He's near. All right, so we're just getting warmed up. Y'all ready for the sermon? All right, here's the meat. All right. Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication or petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is one of the most powerful passages for believers today as much as it was then. Because there's a lot of anxiety in this world. We can be anxious about so many things. So, what does it mean not to be anxious? What's well, saying be content. Don't, don't be anxious about things. Just be content and abide in Him. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is giving us a recipe for contentment. He's telling us how to find it. It's like a jewel. He doesn't say, I'm promising you gold and silver and all these things. He's saying, I'm promising you this. You can find contentment and peace. So here we go. He says everything. We can find it in everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. He wants to be a part of every aspect of our lives every day, 365 days a year. He doesn't want to be our personal genie where we just come to him and you know, ask for a prayer request when we need something. That's not the recipe. The recipe here is that instead of being anxious, Paul says to do this. And, and listen to these real careful because this is on us. Like this is our part of this recipe, right? Pray. In other words, communicate with God. Tell him everything. Not just things you need or want or, or somebody's ill or anything like that. He wants to be like your closest friend or your spouse who you share every aspect of your life with. That's how close he wants to be with you throughout the day. Not just a piece of the day. Not in the mornings. Not just at night. Not just at dinner time. All the time. So the first one is communication with God. It's a must. If you want to learn how to be anxious about nothing, you have to pray. You have to communicate with God. The second one is petition. What does this mean? <clears throat> it says, ask or request for our needs and the needs of others. See, he's not saying don't ask. I already know what you need. He wants us to, even though he does already know it. He's saying, come lay it at my feet. Let me know because you're sharing what is important to you and I care about that. And so he says, ask. Ask for yourself. Ask for others. Come to me. I want you to. And then the next one. There's prayer, then petition. And the last one is offer thanksgiving. Praise him for everything. Psalm 37 actually says this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He cares about your desires. Do you know that? But he also doesn't just want to be out here 
you know, as, a, as the gift giver. It, don't worship the gift. Worship the giver, right? And so as we think about that prayer, petition, and offer thanksgiving, right? What will happen if we do these three things? Well, it says this in verse 7. And the peace of God, his peace, which surpasses all understanding, we can't comprehend it, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then you won't be anxious about anything because he's going to guard it for you. So I told you there's some promises, right? I'm going to give you three promises from this, this book today. One is this. You will receive supernatural peace if you will do those three things. Supernatural, right? It's supernatural because the peace, it's the peace that comes from God. It's his peace he's giving to you. There's no other place you can find it. It's supernatural because it's mysterious and it's incomprehensible. Like we're not going to understand it. It's just going to flood us and come over us because it's from him. It's supernatural because man can't explain it away. Those on the outside can't figure out where it's coming from or where we're getting it. And to them, it doesn't make sense. That's why it's supernatural. Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you this gift that's supernatural, and you won't have to be anxious, and you won't be troubled, but you have to let me in. So the first promise was this, you'll receive supernatural peace. The second promise is this, the God of peace will guard your hearts and your minds. So you're going to receive this peace, but not only that, that God is going to be on guard over your hearts and your minds. Now, what does that mean? This is a picture of a garrison or troops watching over your heart and your mind, standing guard, because you are going to be in the presence of your king. When you pray and when you petition and when you give thanksgiving and you enter into his presence, there comes this guard over you because you're in God's presence and nothing can come in and attack you there. Not only that, but you're not only in front of the king, but you're in his chambers, it's intimate, you're where he is. Not only that, but you're within the castle, so there's walls. Not only that, but you're behind the gates. And not only that, the army's out front. Now, that's a lot of fortified ways to protect your mind and your heart. Do you want that? Because he says you can have it. The question is, are you safe? Your heart and your mind, are they protected? Can you trust God fully? Some of you may be thinking that, you know, that's too good to be true. I've struggled too much. I battle this. I battle that. I have anxiety. And, and it may apply to somebody else but not me. Or there's a catch to it and I don't know what it is. But you know the answer is yes, you can find it. But it'll take you being focused on God and take your eyes off yourself. It, it, it means taking your eyes off of the circumstances that are influencing you and putting your eyes on the influencer himself. 
And it does take effort. It does take you submitting to him. Philippians 4, 8, and 9, they say this. Finally, brothers, and I, and I really do believe that this is the key of thanksgiving that Paul gives us. Because sometimes I find myself just flippantly giving thanks. Thank you, Lord, for my health. Thank you for, thank you for my kids and my family and my livelihood. And we all have that list, right? Okay, I'm the only one. But I've got a list in my head that I go through, right? It's more than that. Here's what Paul's saying. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is true in this world, give thanks. Whatever's honorable comes from the Lord. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, it comes from him. Whatever's lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So here, here's the formula. Man, if, if when we're in God's presence, when, when we, we're in front of him, anything that is good in our lives, he wants praise for. The smallest of blessings in a day to the biggest of things that come our way, right? He wants praise for that. And it says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He's the one that's going to deliver it. And Paul's saying, hey, do as, do as I'm doing, right? He's saying, hey, I, I'm doing this, follow me. This word, think about these things, when it says, it really means ponder these things. Dwell on these things. Let them mull around in your mind. All the things that are good and pure and holy and righteous, all those things, just let them bubble up in you. Give proper weight to them and value and the things that God's done to allow these wonderful things to influence the way you live. It shifts you to an attitude of gratitude. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, from an attitude of uh, grumbling or selfitude to an attitude of gratitude. He's saying practice this and God will be with you. When we practice these things, we receive the third promise, the number three, okay? So we talked about promise number one, receiving supernatural peace. The second one was the God of peace will guard your hearts and your minds. He'll protect you. And the last one is you will leave a legacy of peace. Paul's saying, do as I do. You've seen it in me, go do it. He's leaving a legacy in the church of Philippi and in us. And guess what we get to do? We get to leave that to others as we practice this and as we teach this and as we show others this. That's really what we have the opportunity to do. The reality is we're all going to leave a legacy. Do you realize that? People are going to remember us for something. What do you want it to be? Do you want it to be this, a legacy of peace? Like, man, this person just walked in peace. They walked in the Lord. They were so grateful. No matter what was going on around them, they walked in peace. Philippians 8, 4, 8, 9 says, Finally, brothers, when he says whatever's true, he goes on and says, Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. We can encourage and disciple others to do the same thing. My question is this, and I have to ask myself this. 
do I want people doing what I do? Do I want them to model what I, what I portray? Because when we are called to make disciples, go into every nation and make disciples, it, it's basically saying, you're a disciple, go make disciples, teach them everything I taught you. So if we're modeling it, they're going to learn it. The question is, what are we modeling? And so today's kind of a gut check. Those around you, what are they seeing? What are they learning? What are they taking as you disciple those around you? It may be a friend. It may be kids. It may be your spouse. It may be coworkers. But as you rub up against people, you are, you are rubbing something off on them. And what is that? Paul's saying, I left a legacy. I left a legacy in the church of Philippi, and I'm leaving a legacy in you. And he tells us to do the same thing. I believe as we do, we'll leave that same legacy and point people to Christ and his peace. So three promises. You'll receive the supernatural peace. The God of peace will guard your hearts and your mind. And you will leave a legacy of peace. And it will be multiplied for generations to come until Christ returns. That's how we got to where we are today. Receiving this message today is because it was modeled. So I'd like for us to conclude with this. Paul finishes his letter to the church of Philippi. And as I read it, I want you to listen to Paul's attitude. Okay? So he's just went through all of this talking about what we should do. And now he's finishing up. And I want you to hear what leaks out of Paul as he writes to the church in Philippi. Verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me to help my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul loves these people like dearly. He's so thankful that they reached out to him and they actually provided for him on his journeys. When nobody else was, they were sending. But he's saying this. I don't really seek the gift that you send. I seek the credit that's going to be put towards your account in heaven for being obedient and doing so. Because he's learned to be content. 
He's learned to be at peace whether you had none or a lot. And it's like, so how does he do this throughout this book if he hasn't figured something out in abiding in Christ and abiding in God? You know, one of the things that uh, I want us to think about as we finish up here is this. If all of us as believers could figure out how to truly rejoice and be anxious about nothing. And that just bubbled out of us, right? To others. But in return, inside, we all receive this peace that we don't understand, that God says he's going to give to us, and he's going to guard our hearts and minds as we rejoice and ponder everything that's good in our lives. What impact would we have on our community, on the world, on each other? Because I've heard this before, like, Is negativity infectious? If somebody's negative, does it make you feel negative? If somebody's positive, does it make you feel positive? If somebody's at peace, does it bring peace on you? So as we, as the body of Christ, look at these promises, you'll receive supernatural peace. The God of peace will guard your hearts and your minds. You will leave a legacy of peace. But here's the reality. Before any of that can happen, one, not only do we have to trust Christ with our lives, which is the first step, but the second is we have to be in relationship with him all the time. Not just on weekends, not just when we have our quiet time. It is like this ongoing relationship that permeates us wherever we are. And it starts in the littlest of things of yielding and saying, man, God, I recognized you today in that. You showed up in that. Thank you for all the goodness in my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for my family. As dysfunctional as we might be, thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you for all the things in my life that is pure and holy and righteous because it comes from you. And apart from you, I would not have any of it. And if we can change our mindset and start focusing on him and truly worshiping him as individuals, then he says these three promises are going to pour into our lives and it is going to be contagious and infectious and the gospel will go out. Now all we have to do is is really receive it and apply it and watch what God does. So my encouragement today is this. As we kind of wrap up, Just do kind of a personal inventory right now of what are the circumstances in your life that have gotten your eyes off of him and worshiping him and have kind of put you over here on focusing on the negative and the things that maybe you really can't even do anything about or how's it going to happen. And I want you to just go, God, I release that to you and I come back to you and I, you are a good God. And I worship you and I thank you for the things in my life that come from you. And I want to challenge you with something. If you will keep doing that, I I just want you to watch the transformation of peace in your life. Because I believe what scripture says. And I'm right there with you. I need to do this as well. So can we collectively right now, man, bow our heads. Man, just ask God to give that inventory. Show us the things that are distracting, the things that are robbing us of the peace that God says, I want to give to you. 
and just allow your hearts to soften for a minute and the anxiety to, to lessen and allow him to just start showing you the things in life that are good, the ways he's blessed you. Lord, your word is powerful. Your spirit is mighty. God, you, you give us in this book a recipe of how to find peace and contentment in you. And God, I, I guess that's my prayer for myself and everyone that hears this message is that we would apply it. We would take it and we would trust it at face value and say, you know what? I'm going to try this to say, God, you are worthy of worship. You are holy. And as we think about Thanksgiving, just watch the inner peace come in. And God, not so that just we have it, but that we can share it and others can find peace as well in you. And ultimately, the gospel message goes out and your, your bride, the church, man, gets along and has attitudes of gratitude, Lord, for you and you alone. And God, in closing, we give you all worship and glory today. And it's in your son's most powerful name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast. Or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at